I think which has spiked some of this is, you know, as well as I do, there's a lot of positions and roles across the country that were not being paid fairly and equitably over the years. And now all of a sudden to be able to get those people to come back after uh, COVID-19 and so on, they had to pony up and start paying a fair living wage. So that wage increase piece uh, from an inflationary perspective is the real deal to get people back to what they should have been paid all along. That's piece of the puzzle. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Throughout much of my HR career, I ran away from the numbers side of people management. Got a manager who can't keep his hands to himself? I've got a great day ahead of me. But you need a salary survey to ensure that we're within two standard deviations of the median pay for engineers with seven years of experience? I'm probably not your guy. I can barely count to nine with both shoes off. So luckily for me, and people like me, there are people like Bob Cartwright. Bob is the Chief Executive Officer of Intelligent Compensation, a leading compensation consultancy based here in Texas. He's also one of the most engaged community volunteers I know. We've served together in Texas SHRM and as officers of the Texas Association of Business, the State Chamber of Commerce. But the coolest thing about Bob is that he sings and picks the guitar with the band Mopac Traffic Jams, an Americana bluegrass band. And we'll hear a little bit more about that later. But anyway, right now we're here to talk to Bob and I ask him to join me to discuss compensation in a time of inflation. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Bob. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate the opportunity to sit here and have a conversation with you this morning. Uh, it's always a pleasure getting together with you and uh, always enjoyed our conversations. And so I'm pleased to be here today to have a conversation with you. So thank you. Well, so my first question is, why compensation? Are you just a masochist? Oh my gosh, you hit me right on the nose. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually fell into it. I was doing some uh, organization development work for Texas State University and um, uh, actually hired an outside consultant to do some uh, training. And uh, based on that, he turned to me and said, hey, I'm doing some stuff over in this company I'm working with. Would you be willing to come and uh, work with us? And so he parked me in compensation and... Um, I've never been shy of numbers. So by the time it's all said and done, I ended up running global compensation for the, the company for a number of years. And then um, it was actually kind of fun because I got to really get inside the business. Uh, I spent a lot of time at the C-suite, spent a lot of time sitting with the CEO and CFO talking about incentive plans and uh, how to execute the business and how to drive a business to excellence, utilizing uh compensation tools. And uh, so it was more of a, we were, we were ahead of the game back in that time frame, um, which has been kind of cool because as the, the world has caught up to this, um, we've, we've been there for a number of years and we've kind of accentuated that based on latest and greatest stuff. So it's, it's been a lot of fun and it puts you in positions that people wouldn't think they would be in. Uh, if you think about it, compensation is probably the nearest and dearest to C-Suite's heart 
because they want to make sure that they get their return on investment because basically oftentimes they don't have a lot of friends. They spend a lot of time doing CEO work and it's, it's tough. And so from that standpoint, they want to make sure they get compensated for it. So when you think about it from that perspective, you have a lot of conversations about the business, about how to pay people and how to drive it through rewards. So it's, it's a fun deal. So just like almost everybody else I know in HR, you found your specialty kind of by accident. And you know, kind of most it, of us didn't know, really set out to do whatever it is that we're doing. No. And uh, heck, I was I was heading for law school. <laughs> so <laughs> by the time it was all said and done, um, I'm not going to get into that. It was kind of an interesting story. But by the time it was all said and done, I ended up moving towards uh, working on an MBA program. And uh, so the business side of that piece uh, added to philosophy and psychology and social work actually put me in a perfect position to get in the HR scenario. So. Definitely. Yeah. Philosophy, psychology. Yeah. That's, and then, and then the business side. That's, so you've been at this for quite a while. We, we won't start counting the rings on the trees, but what's the biggest mistake you see most employers make when they decide and they're deciding how to compensate their employees? We've all heard the term squirrel, 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 squirrel. And, um, the interesting part about that is that the media tends to drive people thinking about, oh my gosh, I'm behind, or oh my gosh, I got to do these things. And then they start getting, it starts perpetuating itself. And I'm not blaming the media totally. We're in a talent war right now and everybody knows it and everybody's trying to get the same folks. And so they're spending money. And um, the biggest mistake here is that they're not holding true to their game plan, their strategy, they're basically chasing after the squirrel. And um, so from that standpoint, what ends up happening is, is it puts them in a, in, a, in could put them in an adverse situation, you know, with pay equity really coming in strong at the beginning of the year and OFCCP and others are now starting to dog pay equity and certain requirements by employers. If you think about what's happened in the talent war, people have been throwing money at people for the last year, if not two years. And they're blowing up their structures. And so there's a situation that's coming up this summer. It's a, a symposium. And uh, one of the topics is uh, the talent war and the impending train wreck. And uh, if people don't, if they haven't been thinking about it, if they've been hiring all these people at the high end and blowing up all their equity internally, they got a real problem on their hands because uh, they've got to be out of compliance. It just begs the question. And so it's going to be really interesting, I think, in the next year, how all this kind of starts shaking out. It can't sustain. It is, and I've, I've got a group of folks that, that uh, I work with every two weeks. It's a, we call ourselves C3. But the bottom line is, is that they're the top independent consultant, comp consultants in the country uh, from East Coast, West Coast, North and South. And uh, we talk every two weeks for an hour about what's the latest, greatest stuff happening in the future of work. And uh, this comes up quite a bit because we're getting pinged constantly. Uh, inflation's 8.5%. What should my pay increase budget be this year? Those kind of things. Um, I want to pay retention bonuses and my competitor's paying $50,000. I can't afford that. Should I pay 25? Uh, hiring bonuses. Uh, we're getting reports of hundreds of thousands of dollars being paid out to mid-level engineers because they just want to go cherry pick from one company to another. And 
uh, somebody mentioned today, buy, borrow, or steal. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, where am I going to get the talent? And so, you know, from that, it's it's a... Um, it just creates a lot of pressure, right, on the employer to feel like they've got to pay that top that top dollar. It does. And then you'll, I have to also wonder who's running the, uh, the chicken coop, because sometimes you'll get reports from the functional areas, engineering or... Um, operations or something where, you know, we've got to pay top dollar for this and this and this. You're not buying loyalty by paying top dollar. You're not buying somebody into the culture. You're not doing those kind of things. And so it's not sustaining. And uh, I think we're already starting to see a little bit of trend where high tech is starting to slow down on hiring practices. Um, Others are trying to just sit in the weeds and see what's going to happen next. And others are acting, you know, merit budgets for years since the recession have been 3%. I mean, it was like, what's the merit budget? 3%. What's the pay increase budget? 3%. And that's been going on for since then. And now what is it? And um, part of my research and analysis has found that it could run anywhere from 6 to 9%, depending on industry, depending on uh, can you afford it? Uh, those kind of things. Other surveys are showing 3 to 5%. But uh, even the employment cost index went up 5.7% in March, which is unprecedented, which means it's chasing inflation, but you can't catch inflation and you don't want to pay inflation and you don't want to pay cost of living on a regular basis. You may augment it or supplement it, but if you do, and then you have deflation or the cost of living normalizes, then you're overpaying people um, and you're, you you create a problem with competitiveness. So you talked about staying on the plan and and you know staying inside of your comp structure. Yeah. What does a comp structure really look like? I mean, you know, we've got you know wages, salaries, uh, benefits, bonuses. But if I'm just starting, you're looking at it fresh, looking at my system. What should my comp system include? What should I be considering as I as I put a, a comp systems together? Great question, Mike. I think I think the key is is you have to have a total compensation, total reward strategy, um, pay philosophy, uh, and policy in place of, of basically outlining your competitive posture, what you're going to do as a company, and stay with it. Uh, if you have to change because of X, Y, and Z, then incorporate it into your strategy. Uh, so be intentional reaction. about it. Yeah. Be intentional. So, yeah, because yeah, knee-jerk okay. reactions never get you anywhere. They they get you in trouble. Uh, and we recognize it in all sorts of facets of HR. So um, given that, that's one of it. The other is from a total rewards perspective, you're looking at what you're going to pay your employees from a business, from a benefits perspective, compensation perspective, incentives, equity, if you're public or, or, or a private company. Um, those are the kind of things that go into play in terms of the toolkit. Pay time off, 401k, retirement stuff. You know, back in the day, it was a defined benefit. Now it's it's a, a savings plan. And uh, Social Security over time is not going to augment how that's going to work. So there's a lot of things happening right now from an economy standpoint, economics and, and uh, new game plans in terms of how how are people going to retire someday. Um, so it's, it's an interesting process. So what you do is you discern out where you want to be in the market. What, what, where do you want to be competitively? And then you set, you have to be business centric. It's, it's not a cookie cutter. What's, what's so-and-so doing across the street. 
you can pull data in terms of marketplace, compensation surveys, benefit surveys, those kind of things, and and benchmark where you are and then pick pick your poison, if you will. Um, do you want to lag? Do you want to match the market? Do you want to lead? Do you want to lead in certain spots? Uh, do you want to have an array of incentives, team-based, project-based? Uh, do you want to drive your executives first in terms of driving the business uh, with uh key performance indicators, performance, those kind of things. And so it really comes down to what's most important for the company, given their competition, given where they are in an industry perspective, um, you know, what's their, what's their uh, business operations? Uh, what are they looking like in terms of tactical plans, business plans, those kind of things, and then execute and then be mindful as you say, intentional and looking at what's the future going to bring? How do you mitigate stuff that's coming down the pike? And this is a perfect example. Everybody's freaking out in terms of inflation. Uh, If you move to Austin, Texas, the cost of living's jumped probably double in the last two years, um, especially in housing. And um, so we got to pay our employees more money. Well, you can't chase it. You can't win the game. And so you have to start balancing what are your financial resources? And then what's going to be, what's going to give you the best bang for your buck? And I'm going to tell you what it is and you're going to be shocked. It's your culture. It's your brand. It's how you treat your people. It's, it's basically engaging them, letting them be innovative, giving them space to, to do their thing and bring them together from a cultural perspective and a spree to core scenario. Um, I've been in situations with companies where, and I'll give you an example, a defense contractor, two defense contractors move into Austin. They bring California rates. Everybody's freaking out. We're losing all our top talent. They walk across the street. Three months later, they're calling us up. I'll take the same salary if I can come back. I hate being micromanaged. I loved your culture. Um, did we give them a bump? Maybe we gave them a little bump, but we didn't match what they made walking out the door and they didn't leave again. And then you got the other side. Hey, I just got this offer. You want to match me? And then the next question is, do you want to match him? Do you need this? Do you need that talent for a certain period of time before you can hire back behind them? Because guess what? They're going to be back to you in six months wanting the same deal again. It's, it's just human nature. It doesn't change over time. And so we found a lot of those kind of scenarios that have been happening and, um, you know, a lot of a lot of discussion because you don't want to say, well, you know, no, you know, employer or our clients. Hey, you know, I understand that, but you really need to, to set the course. They need to decide what's important to them. And then we provide them, you know, as much as we can with the the data and resources and so on to be able to make themselves where they need to be strategically and internal from a culture perspective. Yeah. And it goes back, I guess, to a lot of, you know, what kind of behavior do you want to incentivize with how you comp- compensate people? So like that, that employee who, you know, threatens to walk across the street for, you know, a dollar more an hour or $20,000 more a year. Um, what are they really, you know, are we, do we really want to, you know, incentivize everybody getting a raise by going to, uh, you know, by shopping and then coming back to us and raising that and, and how sustainable is that over the long term? And certainly in my corporate career, I worked for at least one large organization where 
you know, we had pretty strict salary bands and you could only increase uh, in, in a certain role by a certain percentage year. But if you left the company and went to work elsewhere for six months and came back, they would always hire you back and they would match your current salary. So you could get a 15% increase by just going working someplace else for six months. And there were plenty of people who understood that, uh, even people in HR, especially people in HR. And, uh, and we saw it happen multiple times. But that's that's what you're incentivizing, right? Yeah, and then if you think about it, if you if you spend a lot of dollars on hiring bonuses, and you're not doing anything internally to augment what you're paying somebody on the outside who has no investment until they walk in the door, and then they catch wind of the fact that wow, these guys are making more than I am, and on top of that, they got a twenty five thousand dollar hiring bonus. What does that do to your your value structure? Your um, oh, guys, what's the term I'm looking for that uh, where people feel like they're being treated fairly? <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, well, they're get your employee engagement and your yeah, your, yeah, right. And and is there is is there equity among how we you know how me me and my peers are you know um, exactly are, so are you know from that standpoint, building a structure that matches your industry, matches your competition, drives your business to excellence, and keeps all the tools and toolbox in mind, not just cash or not just this or that. Although I will tell you in a lot of private, public and private companies right now, they're relooking at their equity because they cannot pay the cash out to sustain the talent war right now. It's, it's getting to a point where it's getting too expensive. And so now they're looking at other ways to bring people in with uh, RSUs and those kind of things. Um, restricted RSU. stock up. Oh, restricted okay. stock units and those kind of deals, uh, stock options. It's not it's not dissimilar to what happened if you remember in the dot com era where people walking across the street for fifty percent increases, coming back for fifty percent more, as you said, uh, six months later, and did that sustain? It blew up. Yeah, it's interesting. I was I was in a the locker room at my yoga studio yesterday talking to a younger a young kid who's. Uh, uh, an engineer and with currently with a biomedical firm. And he, he said, Hey, you're an HR guy. Let me ask you a question. And you know how those things go. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> let me put my seatbelt on. But he had, he had had four interviews with a uh, venture backed startup company that was, you know, in, in, in the same field. And then he said that in each of the interviews, there was, it seemed like the company had a different strategy about what they were going to do. And, and I mean, they've already, you know, they've already achieved like, you know, hundred million in their first round of funding, but it seems like their strategy was constantly changing. And then they told him we're putting this position on hold. And he said, does this, is that a reflection on me or is this normal? And I, and my response to him was, they just, they may have just saved you a giant mistake because it sounds like, you know, and a lot of startups are like that, right? They're throwing money around, but they don't know the, you know, the plan changes daily. They're not sticking with, uh, you know, they don't have a, a firm strategy yet and uh, you get in there and maybe they're paying you great, but uh, you know, you may be redundant in, in six weeks. You could be they, all over the when, map too. When they go left. Right. And so, yeah, it's, uh, and he's, he's got a, uh, a his, he and his wife had their first child, a young baby. And I'm like, I'm not sure that's, you know, unless the money was crazy and there was, you know, a big bag up front, uh, but he, that's the other thing. He said, well, they, they said they're going to offer some really good stock options. And I'm like, you know, I wouldn't, a startup, you don't know what the stock's going to be worth. So that's that's no. gambling. And you're, you're you know, I, I want to see hard cash. That's not money in the bank. Right. 
And, and you know, and the, and the other interesting thing on that too is, is that, you know, as well as I do, that a lot of entrepreneurs start out and they're not business ops guys. They are visionaries. Right. And so, um, yeah, me too. And so from that standpoint, um, you get a lot of folks that are getting into a growth mode and the CEO's dictating stuff that's not making sense in terms of how you're going to drive that growth. And so a, a perfect example, I don't want to name names here, but Michael Dell back in the day figured out that he could not sustain what he was doing as a leader and hired the guy that came in and, and basically made his company what it is today. Um, and it's had different iterations and stuff. But I remember m- meeting Michael Dell at uh, Austin Chamber of Commerce. He and I were on the same board at that time. And he was a super shy guy. I mean, just super shy. He, he barely said three words. And the whole point of him oftentimes with Chambers is to get the folks in who are, can contribute and, you know, provide this and that and so on. And also recognize them as a leader in the community. And we all know about Michael Dell today and Dell Computers. So um, you just never know. And so from that standpoint, uh, a lot of companies don't realize from a compensation perspective, they throw a lot of money out. They don't think about where that money's going. They don't know, you know, at startups um, and the venture capitalists will put that money out there thinking that they're going to get a good bang for their buck. And in the dot-com era, they all figured out that 80% of them were spending money like wildfire didn't have a clue. I'll never forget the time I walked into a deal. I got invited to come over by an attorney friend and uh, they had hired me to come in and help relook at their organization. And I walked in and there's 25 people in the break area kitchen with all sorts of different pets. And I'm walking up to this meeting. And the first thing out of the book is, you know, we appreciate you being here today, Bob. Can you tell us where would you start in terms of um, helping us reorganize the company? And I said, I'd start downstairs in the break area in the kitchen where you got 25 people that probably hadn't worked. I've been down there 30 minutes. Nobody's working. Why are we paying them? And I got chastised big time because if you don't know the culture and you open your mouth, well, that's part of our ingrained culture to, to have pets here that, you know, people feel comfortable with and blah, 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 blah. And they belly, they bellied up three months later. So, um, and I got so just like, yeah, all those, so you know, we've seen all those fads, right? I mean, you know, yeah. oh, we're going to put foosball tables in and we're going to have beer, you know, on tap at four o'clock in the afternoon. And, and I don't think any of those really retain top performers. I think it's, I think it's more, you know, I think the culture issues that are important are how you recognize and incentivize people. Do they feel like the work that they're doing is valuable? Do they believe in the company's mission? Do they trust their leadership? That's, and that's the hard stuff to build, right? It's, you know, it's easy to put, you know, go buy a foosball table or, or do any of that kind of stuff, but uh, really building relationships and trust is, is, is slow and hard. You know, one of my, one of my first year consulting engagements uh, in a company I've got was with an employer who built his company to a multi-million dollar company, uh, family owned kind of a deal. Um, and so he's trying to expand, he's trying to grow, he's doing those kind of things, basically trying to set up for a five-year plan to sell the company. And the interesting part about that was, is we're putting it in a performance-based incentive plan and working with the C-suite people and we're in this meeting and the interesting part is, is that it became very apparent that the C-suite guys were becoming very greedy about what they were going to get in this incentive plan. 
and I'm this guy sitting next to me, and I'm I'm watching him getting white knuckled. He's getting really angry, and he finally stood up and started screaming at his people. He says, "You don't have a clue." And he turns to me and he goes, "You, Mister Consultant, you tell me how I built my company. From pats on the back, thanks for a job well done, walking the floor, knowing your employees, and you know, as you grow, you can't do all that stuff, but." Um, and he said, and making sure that at the end of the day, everybody understood the value of why what we're doing and why we work together to do it. And he said, as far as I'm concerned, this incentive plan's off for a year. You guys don't understand my culture. You don't understand my values. And uh, we may have to change that. And he stormed out. And that stuck with me for 26 years now. That was my first year in consulting. I thought, man, that guy's dead on because you can't blow up something. You can add it if you add it smart. But uh, if you go in and try to blow something up that doesn't fit, it doesn't work. That's why cookie cutter doesn't work when you're working with different companies and stuff. You know that as well as I do. You, you just can't plug and play something. And you mentioned that you know, inflation, I think in April, it's eight, it was 8.1%. Uh, and that may be revised. In March, they're saying it was about 8.5%, uh, which was the highest since 1981. And wage inflation over the last six months is someplace around nine or ten percent, I think. Um, so let's say we have to respond to the market. We've got to get people hired, and we've got to, you know, we've got to fill the, you know, put, you know, fully qualified butts and seats. But if we raise wages, and then inflation changes and the market changes, are we stuck with what we're paying these people, or is there a way to walk it backwards? There's no way to walk anything backwards. Once you walk things backwards, then you're you're basically turning on the people that you're trying to retain to begin with. That's just, it's always been a no-no in comp. So it's always been, if you're going to do something, do it in increments, don't do it all at once and build into it because you can always stop, but you can't go back. So if I say, Mike, hey, Mike, I really appreciate you, man. And, uh, you know, I want to give you a raise. You're, you're at thousand dollars an hour now and I want to give you two thousand dollars you smile and go great that's wonderful and six months later our financial resources go in the tank and they say hey Mike I need you to take a haircut man I need you to get back to to nine hundred dollars instead of a thousand dollars because that's all I can afford right now and you're gonna look at me and go gosh you know I really appreciate you but I gotta go yeah I'm gonna I gotta find something I can't do this or you'll play it out until you find something and it, it takes the wind out of people's sails because they have built their whole life underneath that new income. So in some of my world, in the nonprofit world, there's a thing called uh, enormous or excessive comp. And in some executives, you have to look at that and make sure they're not because there's IRS considerations, attorney general considerations, and um, things that can penalties that can get a company or organization in a lot of trouble. Um, they can do haircuts because they have to get in compliance or, or some of those boards in the five we C3 realm are personally liable for that excess. So there's different reasons for stuff. But um, and here's an example. Um, I'm just going to read a couple of things. Inflation spiked 8.3 in April. It's down this month and or down from 8.5 in March. So that's two points. All overall increase was a result of upticks in shelter food, airline fares, and new vehicle prices. Month-to-month gas prices declined 6.1% to help the March to April decline. However, gas prices from May 2021 of $3 
to May 2022, a 440 is a big chunk of change when you go to the gas pump and, and pump your gas. Gas is still 43% ahead or above what it was. Used cars, 22.7%. Food, 9.4%. Shelter, 5.1%. Unless you get in a place like Austin, Boise, Phoenix, San Francisco, Orange County, uh, New Jersey, um, the triangle out there, North Carolina and South Carolina stuff. Um, those numbers are much higher because of, of influx of industry, uh, supply and demand for talent and uh, supply and demand for places to stay. Um, I will tell you this, my house has doubled in two years in terms of value. I get a call every three days. Hey, I'd like to buy your house for cash. People coming out of California are used to that kind of thing. They're willing to spend the cash that they got out of California to come here and find their next uh, deal. People move during the the pandemic to get to spots where they wanted to be, raise their families and stuff, and then got back into the remote work scenario and demanding the kind of compensation I mentioned earlier. I, I want similar to Seattle because you would have to pay that if I was in Seattle and I'm doing the exact same work that you got people doing in Seattle. So it's, you know, you start thinking about those kind of things and you go, hmm, the world has changed very quickly. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. For over 23 years, Imperative has helped risk-averse companies make well-informed decisions about the people they involve in their business. We are unique in the background screening market in that we don't put our clients at risk by cutting corners just to deliver a lower price. We're upfront and honest about what each of our background screening products is good for and what they're not. If you aren't certain about the quality of your background checks, I've published six questions that you should ask your background screening partner. These six questions will help you understand where your screening partner may be cutting corners. You can review all six questions at imperativeinfo.com questions. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select Episode 46 and enter the keyword COMP. That's C-O-M-P. And now back to my conversation with Bob Cartwright. So what is the strategy for that then? So, you know, the cost of living is is different and people if people are really working remote you know, from a, a, a fairness and, but also probably maintaining, you know, some sort of equity, uh, you know, is it fair to pay the guy who lives in Fort Worth, Texas, which is the best city in Texas to live in and less expensive <laughs> than Austin or Houston um, versus that, per, you know, the person doing basically the same job in San Francisco or New York city. What, um, you know, is it fair to pay, somebody, you know, differently based on their geography? Because I know a lot of employers are trying to figure this out. Yeah, they are. And and that's a phone call about every three days for me. Um, you know, the geographics are going to stay the same. I don't see how the geographic scenarios in terms of regional places are going to change because those places are going to continue to be high cost areas. And when people are talking about, you know, I've got to match cost of living, I've got to match inflation. I feel their pain because 
now they're having to compete against the world and also make sure they retain their employees because they're hearing all these things about being a seller's market and they're pulling up strings. So when you're looking at both cost of living and inflation, inflation's a real deal. I remember, God, I'm going to date myself. I remember back in the day where inflation was 12, 15% or interest rates were that high. And so we were running pay increase budgets at 10%, but we're still 5% below that. So you have to balance because you can't match. And all of a sudden, three years later, it dropped significantly. You're stuck with that cost. You're not going to, you're not going to, haircut everybody because, and the other thing, Mike, I think which has spiked some of this is, you know, as well as I do, there's a lot of positions and roles across the country that were not being paid fairly and equitably over the years. And now all of a sudden to be able to get those people to come back after uh, COVID-19 and so on, they had to pony up and start paying a fair and living wage. So that wage increase piece uh, from an inflationary perspective, is the real deal to get people back to what they should have been paid all along. That's piece of the puzzle. Uh, the other in terms of food and gas and so on, that's an external environment. You know, a lot of people are blaming me and the government, but if you put COVID into place, supply, and, uh, supply chain, the war in Ukraine, um, and all the things above, all those things from an environmental perspective are impacting all this stuff. It's not just a all of a sudden, this has happened. Oh, my gosh. And it's it's the new administration's fault. I'm not playing politics here. I'm just saying all this stuff was happening to begin with. It's just now coming to fruition as you cycle from, from a March 2021 to a March 2022. That, that is catched up. That has caught up with us in terms of those dynamics. So what I've been recommending is this, is that the employment... Uh, cost index is running about five, seven, five, eight percent. And some some private industry things, it's six point one. Inflation's eight point five. If you get close to matching some of that, five, six percent, and don't just throw it into a merit budget or a pay increase budget. Utilize it for different tools to drive the organization to where you want to go. You want to pay for value, you want to pay for contribution, you don't want to pay for entitlement, and you don't want to not incentivize folks who are going from point A to point B and making your place better. You know, Steve Jobs came out and said, I didn't hire you to mimic me and do exactly what I think you think I want you to do. I hired you to be innovative and drive my company to the next level. Otherwise, I don't want you. And when you're talking about good job fit versus warm bodies and looking to make sure you're getting the right talent on board, if it's the right talent and you've got to pay them a certain amount from a supply and demand perspective, and that's going to be critical and they're going to fit your culture well, then you pay it, mm-hmm. but you don't have to, and you have to be equitable because the world is moving towards transparency. Number of states are now moving to, you have to be transparent in terms of what you're paying people. Uh, that's going to be a really interesting dynamic that's going to come up politically as well as legislatively between antitrust act and, and what you can disclose in terms of what you're paying people, because now you're divulging all what you're doing and everybody's going to have a fixed price mm-hmm. or on the other side, the DE&I piece of the puzzle that says, you know, women are tired of being messed around in the workplace in terms of being underpaid, uh, race, gender, religious, all that kind of stuff. All the title sub and stuff is going to start coming out. It's it's only a matter of time from what's transpired through the talent war. It's just going to happen. 
And so, um, you know, so from that perspective, it's going to be a really interesting dynamic in the next two years to see how all this shakes out. It's either going to be a convergence piece where there's going to be a lot of national stuff that happens. And then you've got the global thing. And this was an interesting thing that came up this morning as well. Somebody comes back to me and says, you know, I'm really interested in this and I'm looking for the best talent and I'm willing to pay this. And the guy says, well, I'm willing to come to work for you, but I want $20,000 more. And the guy says, you know, and, and, you know, I want to work remote and this isn't a big deal and yada, yada, yada. And the guy says, well, you know what? Something just occurred to me. If that's what I'm looking at in terms of that, then I'm going to go out and get the best person for this job. And I'm going to go look globally. I don't have to look at the U.S. anymore. So I appreciate your time and effort, but I'm going to go get the right person for the right fit. You don't fit my culture. You're just kind of nickel and diamond me in terms of what you want. And that's those are perceptions. Uh, that happens in the negotiation process. But in that particular spin, something happened in that relationship building that made that guy think, I'm missing the boat here. I need to go beyond what I'm looking at now. I'm, I'm not going to settle. So that's cost money. Right. Well, and if, yeah, if we're going to pay these inflated, you know, if this market is really that hot and we're really going to pay these inflated, uh, you know, wages, then, you know, we ought to be, you know, saying, okay, I want to get my money's worth from that. And, uh, and, you know, and there's a, that, that old saw, I want to hire the best talent I can find. That's always, you know, I think that's almost always a bad idea. <laughs> I mean, you know, you don't always need the best per engineer to do this job. This may be a, you know, you may be doing maintenance. You don't need, a, you know, you don't need a, a, a aerospace engineer to do this, you know, this, in, you know, this basic engineering right. job. And I think a lot of, a lot of us get, you know, fall into the trap of saying, I want to find the best. Oh, that's what the best cost. Uh, okay. And, but when it's, when we're looking at a global market, you know, I, I think we're gonna. We've proven in the last two years we can work remote. Uh, I mean, so yes, many companies can. that never swore they they swore they'd never go remote, and now they're you know some of them are trying to drag those employees back in, and I think those are the ones who are going to end up paying premiums for their labor because, you know, a lot of folks have realized I can, you know, you can measure can my productivity and I can do it. Yeah, and so yep. and if you don't want to you don't want to come in the office, well, you know, on the other side of the fence, when you have the hourly wage earners and they are touch hotel industry, restaurant industry, right. those kind of things. Those are the kind of areas where that's not going to go away. I mean, in, in, I, I was being facetious this morning and saying, okay, so in the hotel, a lot of folks are talking about wanting to work remote. Well, what about the concierge? Are, are we going to have um, hologram visions of folks sitting behind the desk while they're hanging out in their home in Utah or Arizona and uh, you're going to be talking to a hologram. Well, who knows? 20 years from now, that might be real. We got robots running around the neighborhood now delivering groceries. So, you know, it, it's it's morphing. It's going to it's we're changing rapidly and the comp world's changing rapidly, too. There's a lot of things that we're, we're discussing uh, with this group I'm in that are, are actually trying to get leading edge thought processes going in terms of um What's the new pay dynamic look like? Is it going back to skills? Is it going to be direct to work work activities and paying individuals based on their pedigrees? Uh, we're not there yet. The data's not there yet. So it's still driven by jobs and what jobs are being paid. And if you can get quick and fast market data, then you're going to be ahead of the game. Um, if your structure uh, leads into certain areas, but you're not leading in terms of what you're trying to pay, 
then you're getting ahead of it a little bit, but at least you're being more competitive to be able to try to hire the people you're trying to hire. It's, it's all back to strategy. It's all back to a game plan. Um, it's all back to financial resources. And it's all back to, at the end of the day, what do you really need? Um, it's not squirrel, 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 squirrel. It's really comes back to um, how do we win? How do we win? What do we need to win? What are the resources we need to win? Do we have the infrastructure in place to execute? And then go from there, it, you know, back to business 101. But it's it's important. And, and you and I both, we've talked about this before from, from an HR world, is you got to have that business acumen. You've got to really get your head around what the business is like wherever you're working to truly understand how you can best provide comp, benefits, HR services, business services, administrative services, and all those kind of things to drive the business to where it needs to go and, and align it all. And, and that's the world. The ones that I've seen are being very successful right now are doing exactly that. So while, while wages are still hot and say, say, you know, to get the talent we need, we're going to, you know, we've got to incentivize them to come to work for us rather than a competitor who's, who's maybe offering or willing to pay more. What are some strategies that companies, if I don't want to get stuck with a, a, you know, an above market salary in three years for somebody, what are some other ways that I can be fair to that employee and still get them on board without creating a, a lot of a lack of equity, you know, long-term across, across the organization? I think we're going to see going back, just like you had mentioned in one of your examples, hey, you know, we're going to give you stock options, that kind of deal. I think we're going to see more and more equity offerings again uh, to augment the cost of cash. I think uh, people who are out looking for jobs and looking at those opportunities really have to weigh out the pros and cons in terms of funny money versus what they're getting and taking to the bank. Uh, you know as well as I do in the dot-com scenario and all that money that got spent for stock options, very few people got wealthy on that. It didn't yeah, happen. Uh, and it dried up. So. Uh, and then a lot of that got underwater and nobody could afford to mess with it. And so it just, it just dissolved away. But um, in this particular case, signing are, bonuses? Yeah. Or oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was, was going to bring that up. You know, a lot of yeah. people are thinking about, you know, we're going to do signing bonuses and that kind of thing. And I think it comes to key and critical. I think if you try to do that for everybody, you're going to run out of money. And then the other is, is how do you go about doing that? I've, I've, I've heard of folks that are paying a hundred thousand dollars, two years running for as a signing bonus, pay you $100,000 the minute you walk in the door. And if you stay, you get another $100,000 at the beginning of the following year to stay another year. Now, let's talk about that. If I give you $1,000 straight up and six, from, six months from now, that person says, this ain't my fit and walks, and you've got no provisions to be able to recover that money, you're going to court and you're gonna win. And you're going to lose because then you got to collect it. And nobody wants to go out there, you know, unless you get somebody, you know, um, bounty hunter or somebody go out there and get your money for you. It ain't going to happen. It's just not. And do you want do you want to be seen as the employer who's out there trying to claw back money and, and, and cause, you know, suing my former employees for, my, you know, that's that's not going to be a great recruiting tool. Yeah. Right. It takes you offline. What your whole business is about. You know, it's not about that. So 
you know, one of the strategies is, is that you don't just hand over money. We're going to give you a hundred thousand dollars a year. And we're going to, we're going to pay you this hiring bonus monthly. So you have an account each month, they get a, a share of that hundred thousand dollars over 12 month period. If they stick around, then they get paid. If they leave, that's it. There's no more. You don't get the rest of it. And you got to build that into your offer letters and employment contracts and all that kind of stuff. On retention bonuses, it's it's a very similar deal. Why are you giving this to me now? Why didn't you do it before? Or I give you this and you're not buying loyalty. You're, you're, you're buying a spot in time that uh, people will appreciate it for just so long. But money's not king. In an employment relationship, what's king is... Um, culture, feeling like you're a part of that team, feeling like the the mission and the brand is what excites you and uh, you're giving breadth in terms of your job. You're not micromanaged. You're being innovative. You get to do stuff that you like to do. And they have an investment in your, your career. You know, they let you go to and update, you know, your uh, certifications, do those kind of things. And that's part of the comp benefit total reward toolkit. You know, you got to take into consideration education, tuition reimbursement and assistance, uh, upgrading your workforce in terms of quicker, faster, smarter, and uh, training those folks to go there. The smart companies right now are redesigning how to bring people in and train them to do what they need them to do and pay them uh, during their internships in that training program, a really good wage, and then jacking them when they're bringing in business. Mm-hmm. or when they're bringing in products or, or selling products. Those are the kind of things where I'm seeing a major uptick in the smart companies are really building the, their new infrastructure to account for remote, to account for on, on site, to account for all those different things, and then building it accordingly to where they can integrate and continue that discussion with their, uh, from a collaborative perspective with their, with their total team. But even with, you know, apportioning out, retention bonuses or signing bonuses over a period of time. When you quit paying that person, that bonus, when that bonus is, you know, is paid out 12 months, 18 months, whatever, they've accustomed their lifestyle to that. Right. And, and that's, that seems to be the real challenge is, okay. So now they're, you know, they've got this car, they've got this house, they've got all these, you know, whatever they spent that money on. And those are ongoing expenses. And so now, are we, you know, are you putting yourself in a position where you've got to do it all over again? Uh, you know, where, uh, you know, now, now they're going to quit, you know, at 18 months because they've, you know, we, they just took a pay, you know, as they see it, a pay cut. You know, it's, it's not dissimilar to relocating somebody from Texas to, to California for two years. You've got to give them some kind of cost of living adjustment to be able to do that. You're probably giving them an incentive bonus or incentive plan to, drive whatever project you send them out there for, for a period of time. You've then I've got to augment the California payroll tax. That they're going to have to absorb uh, both company and the employee because now they're, they're in the sites of the California taxing authorities to, to give their fair share of what they earned in California, all those kind of things. And then they come back to Texas. They're accustomed to having a, a 30 or 40% bucket of money that they didn't have. Although they've got a different cost of living, they got a different stuff to come back to Texas. And now all of a sudden they're kind of flushing cash for a while. And um, the thought process there is that, well, you know, 
I think I should deserve a pay increase considering that, you know, I've been living off this for two years. Well, the agreement says that's not the case. And you have to hold steadfast to that. It's like sending an expatriate, you know, to, to Europe or wherever in the same process. You, those things go away. You, you, unless you've got a new position for them coming home or uh, you start thinking in terms of if it's a public company or a private company that's got an equity position, then you augment that with maybe additional shares uh, to make sure that their total compensation picture uh, with equity and cash and, and rewards and all those kind of things ties into maybe a, a, a sustainable way of living that they, you know, based on their performance value contribution uh, level in the organization and such, they get rewarded for, you know, just like everybody else moving the company forward. Um, you know, back in the day I used to do presentations and I'd ask people to put out a $5 bill on the table and uh, or a credit card. I always like the credit cards. And I said, put it out in the fable and uh, we're going to do an exercise. And and I said, so, you know, oftentimes people get paid for different things. You know, I, I'm really not receiving anything for doing this workshop today. Uh, you know, I'm doing it as a volunteer and so on and so forth. But, you know, if, if I were to get paid, you know, maybe I'd want to get paid up front or, or maybe I'd want to get paid afterwards after you know, your performance review, but go ahead and put this up there. And I'd collect all of it. There'd probably be 30 people in the room. And then I'd walk out the back door and I didn't come back until somebody came get me. <laughs> and you could hear the room rumbling. Where did he go? What did he do with my credit card? He's got my $5 bill. Think about it from an employer who every day somebody comes to work and doesn't work, who, is receiving the paycheck from an entitlement perspective. And then we turn around and give everybody a cost of living when they haven't done anything. Now, there is reason for cost of living when the market just goes crazy and you've got to be able to help people sustain their their, their lifestyle, their, their, to be able to buy groceries and do those kind of things. Totally agree with that. I think it's important. But the whole premise was is that you can't keep paying folks for not doing what you need them to do. You need to reward them and those who are doing that, reward them more than the ones who are. Now, when you get into this pay equity thing, it changes the balance a little bit. You can still do the things you need to do, but you gotta get a lot smarter and a lot better at and not messing people over because they're a woman or because they're African-American or they're Hispanic. I mean, those people, they can't retire, Mike. We've run the numbers. They can't retire where, you know, folks like me, white male, I can't retire because I've been running a business all these years. It's a different spin. But at the same time, it's one of those deals where if I'm in corporate America and I've got a 30 percent differential between the same job, the same person doing that. Inflation is a killer. So on top of that, they get further behind. It's it's important to start relooking at the playing field across the board. And, and people don't want to do that, but now that governmental regulatory scenarios are pushing that envelope. So when you're looking at dollars and all the different statistics that come out from consumer price index and um, producer price index and employment cost index, you can find all this stuff on, on the Bureau of Labor Statistics. It's all out there. Uh, mutual friend, Rich Frischel. He, he schools me all the time about stuff like this. He, and he would be a great one for you to have a conversation with someday. Um, 
But the whole scenario here is the fact that all those things, external and internal, are going to drive what you do from a strategy. And you've got to be mindful of that. And I'm going to go off on the deep end on one last piece. There is a lot of conversation right now about remote work and all the dynamics related to that. You've got connectivity, you've got internet, you've got this, that, and so on. We have a very weird situation going on in Europe right now. And there is a lot of dynamics that are going into that. And having come out of the defense business, there are certain keys that we were taught and learned in that 15 plus years that I was in that business, top secret clearance, all that stuff, that you look for signs. And we've got a sign out there right now that's ugly. And you've got, you've got somebody that's in power right now that's threatening nuclear war. Well, it may be tactical. Who knows? But one burst up in the sky, electromagnetic pulse, and all this stuff shuts down. Your car stops working, all those kind of things. And we need to be mindful from a strategy perspective what that looks like. Nobody knew about COVID until it hit. Right. We can't not fool ourselves on some of this stuff. We need to be mindful. And so being mindful in strategy from the compensation perspective, how we pay the people, what we're doing remote versus on site, all those kind of things. If you talk about somebody in California and they're in Texas and there's a 30% cost of living differential, but they're doing the same job, where's the pay equity? Right. That's and I guess and with all the focus on transparency and I know the SEC is looking at that some of that stuff is you know do you think there's gonna if, I mean it seems like a smart employer would be saying okay I'm gonna find you know I'm gonna set my budget at X for this position and if 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 it's a position where we can work remote you know I'm gonna do most of my advertising in lower cost markets and. Yeah. And I, why do I need somebody in New York physically anymore? And, and, and we may, you know, people want to live in a lot of those places and they, you know, they may be willing to pay the premium, but I'm not sure employers are going to want to pay the premium for employees who happen to live in the, you know, in those areas. But that's a whole nother, we need to schedule a whole nother. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, we got, I got off on We've run this one up to, this is going to now the longest podcast episode in the history of the, the Good Morning <laughs> HR. And so all my listeners are going to get a full hour of HRCI and Sherm credit. But that's all the time we have. So we're going to exit today's show, though, with uh, a, a performance of Still a Lot of Living by Mopac Traffic Jams. That's Bob's band. Tell us about this song, Bob. So it was a song I actually wrote for uh, my wife of many years. Um, just a sitting down one day and I was out in the country and I was sitting about thinking about stuff and how lucky I am um, to be married to a person like her. And uh, she's, uh, I'm probably a heck of a lot luckier than she is, but from that perspective, um, it just came to light, you know, as you get older and you start thinking about, we had a number of kids as you're well aware and five kids and um, close knit family and a whole king, whole thing. It was just, you know, we're still, there's still a lot of living in us to go out and do some stuff. And so it just, the words just started coming and the melody was something I had been working on for a while. So that's how it came about. It is a great song. And well, thank you. And thanks for joining us, Bob. I appreciate it. And I'll include links to Mopac traffic jams, social media stuff on in our show notes. So our <laughs> listeners can go find you. 
Hey, we're and out for so, hire too, Michael. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they'll hustle. I mean, you may pay inflated wages for them, but they're out there and they'll, they'll gig for you. So, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up. There's still a lot of living in this old body of mine. My hair is scarce and it's tougher these days to hear. There's still a lot of loving in this old soul of mine. And I'm living the life and living to keep you near. You're still as pretty as the first day that we met. At the end of the day, you're the only one for me. Golden hair and deep blue eyes, living to see you more. You're the one girl in this world that is for me. There's still a lot of living in these old bones of mine. My hands are gnarly and it's getting harder to see. There's still a lot of beating in this old heart of mine And I'm living to keep this love between you and me Yeah, I'm living to keep this love between you and me